Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Steve Bruce to my Carlos Corberan. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, I'll be all right. I'm, I'm delighted. I, you bring up Steve Bruce and all I can think about is, how's the bacon did you say? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Bruce is a... He's got quite a few memes to his name now, hasn't oh, yes. he? Is he the most memeable manager that there is? There might be. There's obviously the, there's the one on the beach. There's one of him, I think, looking like he's in a chip shop. But Sam Allardyce has got one of those as well. But the yeah. House of Beacon is definitely his peak. It's peak Steve Bruce, isn't or it? Or the, the one where he is sorrowfully looking up and going, and then, <laughs> it's just <laughs> that one. You, you haven't even mentioned the cabbage. Cabbage oh, Ed. Cabbage Ed, old Cabbage Ed. Yes, yes, old Cabbage Ed. That's a, a still to this day, a Villa fan getting a cabbage into a football ground is incredible. Yeah, one day we will find out what happened there. There's also the one where he says, oh, you've got to look at this one. Oh, oh. And he's talking about <laughs> someone's goal or something like that. He's just, <laughs> what a man. We need him back in football, really, don't we? Maybe not as a manager, certainly as a personality, you can add something. I, d- I don't think I want to see him again as a manager in the championship. Or maybe if he does, it's got to be for a, a Sheffield Wednesday, that type of club in that yeah. situation. Not a, yeah. uh, don't go back to Wednesday. Cause, He'd be yeah. a good appointment for them, wouldn't he? He'd be a good appointment for, I think, any bottom half championship side, I would say. I think he's still got something to give. I think I'm right in saying as well, this year, this calendar year, is the first one he's not been a player or a manager in since something like the 80s. He's been going for that bloody long. He deserves a rest then, doesn't he? He just wants to be out in the West Indies, doesn't he? You know? Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> you know, sat on a beach saying to people, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, what a round of midweek games we've had. My, oh my, we have had some bloody drama in midweek, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some of the news from the past few days as well in the championship. And then we'll finish off with Scott Hyo, Ryan Lowe, right at the end of the show. And we'll kick things off with a meeting between top v bottom. A 93rd minute equaliser saw Sheffield Wednesday draw one all with Leicester. And it was a very flat performance from Leicester. They actually had fewer shots than Wednesday. And the equaliser certainly had been coming in this one. And Justin, you've had your reservations recently about Leicester City. And I'm guessing this result will only strengthen them. They're not reservations. They're just, I I, I just want to see more from them. The term I used at the weekend was I want to see Big Daddy Leicester. We've not seen Big Daddy Leicester yet, have we? We, They've got so much attacking quality and potential that they need to they need to utilize it more they have to punish teams when they're on top so it's not it's not a reservation it's a i know you've got more in you so stop holding back that sort of thing does sound a bit like a reservation mm, no but i i i would term a reservation as a bit more of a skepticism um you know i'm, I'm not quite fully convinced by by said so you, club you, you... Well, you said at the weekend you've got reservations about them running away with the league. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. And it's mainly because of complacency. There was an opportunity here to, to really stamp your authority on on a team who are, who are struggling, who are, who are not in the best place in terms of scoring goals. And you've made them look a lot better than, than probably what they are. They've, you've made them look like a mid-table side, as Danny Rule quoted at the weekend. Um, and that's not where Sheffield Wednesday are. If you are 
a team going for a title in any division you've got to go to the bottom side and show what you're about and, and, and Leicester didn't they didn't and, and as I say it's that complacency that makes me think other teams are going to get opportunities to close that gap as they did in this game week we've got a really really interesting run of games up until the Christmas period a lot of games as well and I just think now's the time to set those good habits and I don't think Leicester have yet yeah well it's interesting that they've gone from winning 10 games in a row to losing two and then winning one in a very interesting in very impressive fashion against Watford at the weekend and then drawing to the worst team in the league so four points from a possible 12 is not a great showing and I mean this was a really poor showing from Leicester I'd go as far to say it was actually their worst performance of the season actually because not only have they failed to beat the worst team in the league they deserve to concede that late equaliser they were much sloppier in terms of possession than we've been used to and were their own worst enemy at times. So I think some of the problems they've faced lend to some of the concerns I raised about their summer transfer window. Enzo Maresca made six changes against Wednesday, but I don't think the strength in depth is as strong as he would like because you got Kasede and Yunus Akkun in midfield. who were quite the downgrade on Wilfred Ndidi and Kieran Dewsbury Hall. Connor Cody has looked very rusty, certainly not like an £8 million defender. And the lack of a left-sided defender has been a real issue. So I think all of that has been far from ideal. I'm still very much of the opinion that Leicester will go up most likely by winning the league with relative ease. But this result and performance has unquestionably left me with my eyebrows raised and quite rightly so but you've got to give credit to Wednesday for how they assert themselves because you're coming up against a team who are as good as Leicester um, and and they showed that they're more than capable of competing which is a lot of compliments to to Wednesday and a lot of compliments to Danny Royal as well for um, for turning things over relatively quickly actually um, so whilst on, on paper it looked like an easy game for Leicester um, I think if you do add into that uh, into the fixture this sort of fixture with that sort of complacency in your head um, and you've got a team like Wednesday who are slowly on the up it's a very slow in, uh, incline but they are on the up um, then you are going to get punished and they did and if they play like this against a team who have a little bit more quality in the final third it could have quite easily been a defeat yeah well I'm not going to deny that it was a fantastic result for Wednesday it's only their second game in seven where Danny Rule hasn't lost so he'll be hoping they can get the ball rolling after this one Um you didn't even notice that one, ladies and gentlemen. I just didn't want um, to. <laughs> fair enough. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, though, it comes off the back of another few days where the owner, De Ponchanceri, has been in the news again. A Sheffield Wednesday fan group, the 1867, have put out a scathing letter about our old friend Chancery. They've been having meetings with various parties about the future of the club and have, cu- have accused Chancery of blocking a sale. They say a consortium is interested in buying Wednesday, but Chancery isn't giving them information despite saying he would be prepared to sell the club if the right alternative came along. They also claim he's only willing to sell if he makes a substantial profit on the 38 million he bought Wednesday for in 2015 and if he still has a significant share of the club. It is just baffling, Justin. Mm, yeah, it is. And I think the one thing you've got to consider here is the fact that Birmingham sold for 35 million, Hull sold for 30 million. Derby sold for 18 million, that's excluding the stadium. I think Coventry's price was 50 million, but that included a 25 million pound bid of the CBS. So final fee is unknown, but in the region 25. What are you expecting to get for a club that you've basically, rin- not rinsed actually, because you get something out when you 
get something out of it when you do that, but you have damaged incompre- incomprehensibly on the pitch and off the pitch. Commercially, he sponsors the club or his business has sponsored the club. So there's not too many external partnerships with, with big brands out there. Um, on the pitch, it's it's an aging squad. There's no real valuable assets within there. Transfer has robbed it of its rob the club of its short-term future and I think that's the frustrating thing is you see performances like this against Leicester and you, you look at Danny Royal, young coach, young exciting coach and he's not got the tools to, to work with because Chantiri can't see his arse from his elbow um, when it comes to running a football club or selling a football club. It's 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 um, frustrating. It's frustrating and disappointing and worth pointing out as well that he sold the stadium to himself Um unsuccessfully I'll add to, to curb profit and sustainability so he holds that card as well so a sale is going to be even much more difficult yeah yeah and it feels like this is becoming a bit of a fortnightly thing now isn't it where you and I bash our heads together at how infuriating it is watching Wednesday self-employed because of this madman and I mean the idea that he thinks someone may be willing to pay substantially more than the 38 million he bought the club for is mind-blowing because we're dealing with damaged goods now aren't they damaged solely by one man and you're right Wednesday are big clubs there's so much potential here especially with Danny Rule in charge who I think is doing a great job in the circumstances but Chan is like a dementor from Harry Potter (laughs) he's just sucking the life out of Sheffield Wednesday as a football club and if he doesn't go I would not be well I'd be quite worried that we would see a similar situation to what's happening at Reading now, where mm. the future of the club is in peril and they're in serious danger of ending up in League Two, perhaps even further down the pyramid. So he needs to sell, but unfortunately we're dealing with a man who is the maddest owner of a football club in the country, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you're quite right. All I can think about now is, Chansiri, Chansiri, the, the, the Dementor, Dementor quote, whenever he comes by. Sucking the soul out of the club. I don't know that quote. It's literally a Dementor quote from Harry Potter. Dementors don't talk. No, they don't. Dementor didn't say it, did he? Anyway, carry on. Who said it? I think it's... Is it Danny Rule? (laughs) (laughs) Whenever Chancery comes by. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Back on to the promotion race and uh, Leicester's draw meant Ipswich, Leeds and Southampton all made ground on the Foxes, Ipswich bounced back from their second defeat of the season at the weekend by beating Millwall 3-1. They're just a point behind Leicester again. They had 19 shots to Millwall's five. A very comprehensive win, really, in the circumstances. Leeds remained seven points behind the top two. They came from a goal down to win 3-1 at home to Swansea. In the first minute of this game, Leeds had a goal disallowed and then Swansea went straight up the other end and scored. <laughs> a... I, I had to double check because I, I thought it was the camera, a bad edit on the camera I had to really double check as to whether or not that actually happened yeah it's <laughs> unbelievable isn't it um, Joel Pirro and Dan James both scoring against their former club they both celebrated the goals and apparently Pirro was kissing the Leeds badge after his goal um, a lot of Swansea fans seem to have got very exercised about that Justin does it does it really matter? Um, it can leave you with a bitter bitter pill but he's not spent five or six years at the club and made over 100 appearances as he's there for two seasons was a very good goal scorer so he could sort of let it go but I understand their their vehement frustration yeah I I saw a couple of Swansea fans saying well we made him and this is how he pays us back he he they didn't make him Joel Pirro made himself really he they were just kind of a a 
a, a shelf that he was allowed to uh, a platform that he was shelf. able to perform I don't know why shelf <laughs> came to my mind um, but he they were just a platform really and you know he gave as much back to Swansea as they gave to him really didn't he yeah I think we might be overthinking it a little bit but it's just a it's just a classic case of I think a player's gone for big money maybe the Swansea fans have given him a little bit of stick in the game and he's and he's scored and he's kissed a badge and that's that's what it is yeah Dan James celebrating maybe a bit more unseemly dick move maybe I mean he didn't go mad let's be honest but uh he is a former Swansea Academy product, of course, isn't he? Um, Southampton stay one point behind Leeds after beating Bristol City 1-0. Southampton have won 24 points from an available 30. They were unbeaten in 10. The only teams they failed to beat in that time are Rotherham, Preston and Huddersfield. <laughs> Strange teams to struggle against in that time, but going very well are Russell Martin's boys. Now, could there be a dark horse for automatic promotion emerging from the shadows in the form of West Bromwich Albion. They made it five wins from six by beating Cardiff 1-0. They have also revealed they've increased the loan they've taken out, essentially keeping the club running. We'll talk more about that shortly. Um, first and most importantly, Justin, Jeremy Sarmiento got the goal. Did he mean it? <laughs> I want to say yes, because it was because at first glance, you go, oh, crikey, is it that well? That's a great goal. But then you you watch it again and you go, oh, I think you've crossed that, haven't you? Yeah. There's a bad cross, Jeremy. Mm, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not giving him that at all. At no point did I think, yeah, that's a shot. He, he, he didn't even look up. It's just flown in past the keeper, hasn't it? Um, but yeah, fair enough to him. Uh, well, despite the ongoing uncertainty off the pitch, things are going brilliantly on it, aren't they? Five wins from six. The form team in the division, based off the last six games, fifth in the table. And I tell you what, I'm looking at them wondering, could they possibly be in with the shells of getting the top two, Justin? I think it's worth bringing them into the conversation, especially in a couple of weeks' time, should form continue, it's definitely worth bringing them into conversation because they are such a well-drilled, defensively good outfit. There aren't many teams in that top six who are who are as comfortable defensively as, as West Brom are. The Christmas period is obviously a big one. It's where teams are, can make up a lot of ground and, and basically slingshot themselves into contention. We saw Forrest a couple of years back, didn't they? They they really hit, hit up a gear, cranked up a gear, sorry. Um, throughout December but if you were to assess them now for me they are the best defensive team in the division comfortably it's just whether their attack can can match that um, that efficiency at the back you know first third final third sort of thing um, his Huddersfield side showed that they showed the same principles and he's got more quality at his disposal and they were I can't remember how many points off um, automatics they were but they were sort of in the conversation around March, April time. So if West Brom can get to March, April, still be within the conversation of automatics, then Corbrand deserves being in the conversation for, so it keeps in conversation, but you, you get my point, um, for manager of the season because it's an outstanding job that he's doing. He is doing an outstanding job. I think Kieran McKenna and Ipswich may have a, a say as to manager of the season, but, you know, I, I, I've just been so impressed with West Brom in recent weeks. They look so well drilled, particularly in this six game run that they're having. I wouldn't want to 
rule out automatic promotion at all. They've kept the most clean sheets in the division as well. I've just been extremely impressed. And this stretch of games has only grown my appreciation of Carlos Corbran. He is just a top innovator. They're playing this well, despite the problems of the pitch. Also not having a top striker, by the way. That's something that I thought was going to be more of an issue than it is, but it's it's really not been so far. They've got a tricky couple of games with Leicester on Saturday and then Sunderland after that. But with the way they've been playing, I can very feasibly see them continuing their marvellous form. So, you know what? They're making me raise my eyebrows, question everything that, you know, I had held dear to me about this season. Um, and I'm all here for it. Keep it going. Um, well, I hate to be a dampener, uh, putting a dampener on things, but we do have to talk about the increased loan that West Brom have taken out. I'm wary that people may switch off at us talking about financial things like this, but it's fair to say this loan threatens West Brom's very existence. So last December, they took out a £20 million loan over four years for what the club said was to cover the general business operations. We asked football finance expert Kerry Maguire about it, and the long short of what he said was, I have no idea how West Brom are going to pay this back unless they spend time in the Premier League. The amount they borrowed has now been increased, but they haven't said by how much. And I find this deeply concerning, Justin. Yeah, it's massively concerning. I think if a club's relying on external funding from a essentially a bank, um, a football bank, um, if you like, it's not it's not sustainable. And, and, and West Brom should have had that transition where basically there was a fire sale and there hasn't been, mainly because a lot of the um, a lot of the players are, you know at the wrong end of their careers and quite expensive um, but I think with um, with this loan it, it gives them a little bit more time to get into January and, and see where we're at in terms of a takeover I think what you've got to remember as well is I mean, it exemplifies the job that Carlos Colbrand is doing by the way because if, if you've got a manager who can um, who can maintain uh, a consistency that he's doing whilst this is happening off the pitch I think it's an incredible job but also, I think if you can get to January and get a takeover of the line, John Percy tweeted that talks are still ongoing um, and there is hope of a completion of a takeover before January. Then it's looking a lot rosier come um, come the second half of the season because there's potential there to, to add to his squad and add in that little bit more quality that he needs. Well, that's best case scenario, isn't it, Justin? But still, even if they do get a takeover done, at the end of it, there's a new owner who's potentially coming in who's going to have this big fat bill that they're going to have to pay back at some point, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? Because I think when everyone, when, when clubs take out loans, you look at uh, the, the best case of, of, of talking about this is Derby. They took out um, two loans from MSD, the, the football bank, if you like. And um, David Klaus had a, had a very hefty bill to pay when he took over the club. It, 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 increase the um, increase the value of the club exponentially without the club actually being worth um, what it was what it was bought for or what David Close ended up paying in the end um, and, and as well as that the worrying thing is debts are usually written against assets of the club whether that be um, stadiums or, or training grounds again so that's that's a huge concern I get what you're saying but to put it into more you know layman's terms it What's happening now is like walking up to a roulette table, putting your mortgage on red and then saying, actually, let me put my life savings on there as well. It's gambling with the club's future. It's very shady, not disclosing how much money they've loaned. Is it a couple more million? Is it another 10 million? 
it's just so open to speculation and it's a timely reminder of how badly West Brom need a takeover. I do think it makes the club more difficult to sell. If, if there is reports, of course, as you say, that a takeover is on the table, um, but they may get put off if they find out that this is this loan has been you know, increased substantially. We just don't know how much it is because any potential owner now knows that they're going to have to be paying off this massive bill at some point if they don't get to the Premier League in the next few years. And that's very scary. I just hope a takeover does get done sooner rather than later because I can see things getting worse further down the line if something doesn't change. Well, that's it, isn't it? It will, it will get worse because if the club isn't sold or the club doesn't sell players to essentially pay for... Um, pay for the loan or pay to keep the club running then come the end of the season they're going to have a threadbare squad it's going to be um, it's going to be a completely different situation I think it's one of those scenarios where it's I would say promotional bust but it's promotional things are going to get a whole lot worse come the end of the season yeah well that's that's a very safe way of putting it uh, quickly back on Cardiff the manager Errol Bullitt has called for VAR to be introduced into the championship it's after he some questionable decisions from his perspective in this game. Uh, what do you think of uh, that particular conversation, Justin? <laughs> Two things. Errol Bullitt, welcome to the Championship. We've had this problem for a very long time. Um, it's not got better. It's got worse. So there's that. You've got to do your dues. You've got to do your time. Um, it's, it's how it works. The other thing is I'm pro VAR. I'm just not pro the rules or the... Uh, quality of officiating I think VAR works in a certain circumstance so I, I'm with Errol Bullet on that but um, the circumstances at the moment are shit uh, i.e. officiating is, is not very good um, and, and the rules are a mess so it needs a lot of cleaning up before it starts to infiltrate the rest of the football pyramid yeah well we can have a we could have a very lengthy conversation on VAR, couldn't we? But, you know, every other podcast is doing it. And we're very fortunate in the championship that we don't have to talk about VAR every single bloody week. Um, I think all I would say is that I think a lot of the bad perceptions about VAR right now are more down to the current rules, as you say. Like the handball rule, for example, right now is just an absolute farce. Um and I think VAR in itself does need a lot of work before it should be you know, spread out more widely yeah. to other leagues. Um, I do, I so, do want to add. I do want to add. He's coming from Europe as well, where it's implemented a lot better over in other countries than it is over here. What's so that? that? Sorry. What's that based on? It, it's based on the lack of um, the lack of controversy we're seeing in other divisions. Do you just not hear about it as much though? No, I. I do cover European leagues. Okay, then. Well, there you go. That's put me in my place. <laughs> Just let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about the rest of the games for midweek in the Championship. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favourite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is 
absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah. And under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. This year, build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at chimecom build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Chime checking account and a 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast, QPR1 at home for the first time in 261 days. They beat Stoke 4-2 to give Marty Sifuentes his first win as Rangers boss. Stoke were down to 10 men for nearly the whole of the second half after Ender Stevens was shown a second yellow, which looked very soft. Mm, no, I disagree. I do think it was a second yellow. I, I, knew I had to watch it three times to see it when he pulls his shirt. It's really subtle, but he pulls yeah, his shirt. Yeah, it's the smallest possible tug of a shirt. shirt. But at the same time, the QPR player has gone round him, run onto the ball after that tug, and then collapsed to the ground no, with no contact at all. I just knew you'd try and disagree with me in some way, shape or form. It's not a second yellow card at all. Um, QPR's first home win in 261 days, as I say. It's actually only their second home win in over a year. So how big a monkey could that be off their back? I think it's well, a, a, a big one. Um, I don't know what the, the biggest monkey is in the animal kingdom. Just a gorilla, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's one of them then. Or maybe two, because I think this sort of thing becomes a bit of a hoodoo, doesn't it, in football? Everyone talks about it, gets in your head. But it's not it's not a, a fluke by any means, because there's been a lot of progression under Marty Sifuentes that needs to be shouted about. They're yet to concede um, over one XG uh, under him in his first four games, which is really impressive. Defensively, they're more assured, more organised and have a lot more purpose. And it's a, it's a very healthy place to be. And we saw a lot of the attacking confidence come back to them in spells in this game. Look at the Elias chair assist for the own goal. I think it was him back to his best in terms of his dribbling quality and obviously buying that yellow card as well. It was just a lot of um, a lot of quality and confidence coming back in 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 certain areas uh, under Sifuentes, which is a big positive. So yeah, big big gorilla off their back. Yeah, a massive, massive King Kong-sized gorilla there you go. off their back. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we have been saying that QPR have played better under Sifuentes, but it's just not been translating into results. So that first win was always going to be big. I think it's even bigger when you consider that Chris Willock scored. He's been out of form for a very long time. And Lyndon Dykes got a couple of goals. His second was brilliantly taken. He also did miss a very simple one-on-one, but... You know, that's Lyndon Dykes for you. Um, but it's a huge win for Sifuentes. Defensively is where the big improvements have been for me. They look so much more solid at the back than they did previously. So that's huge. And they've got some very winnable games coming up. So if they manage to get some form going, it could be gigantic. While we're on the subject of QPR managers, Gareth Ainsworth has popped up. He says he'll focus on music if his football career stalls. He told the BBC, I'm a musician first. That's what I always say to people. It's very David Brent, isn't it? Yeah, massively David Brent. <laughs> cold, cold, the cold-blooded uh, cold blooded hearts are his band. Yeah. Uh, you, reckon, you reckon I could put them for, for my wedding in the summer? Ooh, I mean, I'd love to see it. Have you listened to them? I've, I've, I have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, Justin, it's not terrible. 
It's not awful. It's, it's not, very it's very pub bandish. It's, it's like not, when you go to the Dog and Duck on a Saturday night and there's a band playing you and you're like, should we go down the road instead? Yeah. It's not awful. Yeah, it's not what you expect from a football manager, but he's probably not going to say yes to, to playing at my wedding considering I called him a goth and lambasted his football for months. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it there. I've called him a goth, out of his depth, David Brent. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Gareth. I'll, Drop you an email. <laughs> free love on the free love freeway. Um, Tara Moore got just his second win as Huddersfield manager. They won 2-1 away at Sunderland. First win in six for the Terriers as well. Against brilliant opposition, by the way. A fantastic result for Darren Moore, who has been finding himself under a bit of pressure recently, Anti. Yeah, it absolutely has. And uh, rightly or wrongly, it's quite clearly not good enough but I think this game showed that he can organise a team because they were fantastic defensively I watched the last 20 minutes of the game um, on the red button and I saw a stodgy, sturdy performance from, from Huddersfield, it was a really uncomfortable affair from from a Sutherland perspective because they doubled up on the attacking players that had quality it was a, it was a really good game plan obviously took the chances when it came, uh, came as well Bergsorg's goal was um, was nicely taken uh, and Helix I think is his fifth goal this season I think they're all away as well which is <laughs> an incredible stat but there's a lot there's a lot of positives to take from a defensive point of view it's just about getting more from their attack because they haven't been scoring freely of late under, under Darren Moore yeah well, they rode the look a bit against Sunderland, but they did also defend brilliantly. And that's how they've just got to play more often. It certainly helps having Delano Bergsorg back fit because he can be a difference maker for Huddersfield, can't he? And I've said this before, but I find it hard to blame Darren Moore for their recent form simply because of the strength in the squad. However, I think the big hope for Huddersfield with regards to their survival chances is I think they're likely to strengthen the most in January because yeah. these new owners will hopefully be wary that their investment in the club is going to look quite poor if they go down. So a busy January is imperative. Until then, though, they have got some very winnable games and they need to make the most of those fixtures. A masterclass from Jaden Philogene. Saw Hull beat Rotherham 4-1. Two goals from him, one of which was properly filthy that back heel how dare you Jaden these people have families and he has been mind-blowingly brilliant this season hasn't he he has he really has there, there are players there are very few players in in a season that do capture your heart as a neutral um and Jaden Philogene's he's, he's he's got it he's uh he's, he's reeled me in I'm not going anywhere Jaden you are uh I am yours and you are mine or maybe the other way around but he's just a fantastic player he's he's the definition of, of, of a form player at the moment because there's no way you'd try that back heel if you're even slightly out of form or just coming into form but he's top of his confidence and when you've got the confidence to do that try those things and amongst others be just an absolute menace uh, as well you're in a great place nine nine goal contributions in the last seven games it's just outstanding 11 for the season he's an unreal talent and Villa might be kicking themselves looking at his talent um, form at the moment yeah well he's only had one game in the last 10, I think it is, where he hasn't contributed to a goal, whether it's in the sister or a goal. It's just remarkable. And I mentioned at the weekend that we'll be making our halfway team of the season soon. And we somehow have to fit Crescencio Somerville, Jack Clark, Morgan Whitaker in the same team. It was poor of me to forget Jaden Philogene. We may have to go full Garth Crooks and make a team of wingers because all, all the best players this season have been wingers, really, haven't we? I mean, let's be frank. If we had to pick the top five players of the season... 
they'd all be in with a shout, wouldn't they? I mean, Dewsbury Hall, Leif Davis, Gabrielle Sara. Yeah. I, d- I don't think we're going to have a natural striker either. I think there's been so much quality in, in the wide areas. Um, yeah. Well, it depends if you count Sammy Schmodix, I suppose, doesn't it? Well, natural, natural. But uh, as I said, I think it just exemplifies the quality that Jaden Philogene has, has put in this season. He's been so consistent. And to be able to compete with the players that you've mentioned who have done it con- you know, in, in previous seasons is, is remarkable. Yeah, he has been incredible. He's had so many scintillating performances and is really spearheading Hull's top six push, isn't he? Uh, Hull had 12 shots on target here, Justin, the second most by a side in a championship game this season. Can you guess the team who had the most? Um, I want to say Leeds, but I'm, I, I don't. I, it might be. I want to say Birmingham potentially as well. No, it was Watford. Of all teams, it was on the first game of the season where they spanked QPR. They had 13 shots on target uh, in that one. 45. We're yeah. the best team in the league, according to yeah. Gary Painsworth. <laughs> <laughs> um, quick word on Rotherham's array record, by the way, in the last 12 months is mind-blowingly bad. Just seven points won from a possible 63. Jesus Christ, why do their fans even bother? There was a bit of talk of caretaker boss Wayne Carlyle getting the Rotherham job following the Leeds draw last Friday. After this, he was like, yeah, maybe I'm not getting this. Watford came from 2-0 down to beat Norwich 3-2. A cracking result for Valor and Ishmael's boys. Ishmael Kone had a terrific game in the middle of the park, as did Jake Livermore, who's tuning out to be a very smart signing. For the Orns, he's seemingly gaining cult status at Vicarage Road. Just one loss in eight for Watford. But let's go to Wagner-Voch, Justin. Norwich back to losing ways. Fans back to calling for David Wagner to be sacked. Could Sunday be a decider for David Wagner's Norwich future? feels like we've had quite a few deciders for his future, really. Yeah, that's, what I, that's why I don't think it's particularly fair from my point of view based on his last two wins. I feel like we, and maybe some Norwich fans, can maybe get a bit reactionary, to, to especially when a team's really yeah, badly but out just of form. Yeah, just Justin, that, that QPR win at the weekend was as... Yeah, yeah it was poor. It was un- as unconvincing a win could be, really, couldn't it? Yeah, it, it, it was, and performances need to improve drastically um, but there's no point pressuring Ben Napper into making a decision that he's clearly not ready to do in terms of identifying the next man and essentially the next chapter of the football club um, this you know this I say it over and over again this falls on Stuart Webber um, you know Stuart Webber has put the club in this position not David Wagner um, so it's not particularly fair that he gets a lot of the flack although he is leading the team it doesn't help that George Long cannot save shots either that is a big big problem yeah, well, when your goalkeeper's not saving shots, that is a bit of an issue. So you think David Wagner should be given time? I, I think we should lay off him a little bit and just allow him to manage the team. Mm, not sure I agree. I mean, between the 28th and 81st minute of the game against Watford, Watford had 21 shots and Norwich had two. And that is just simply appalling game management. And it feels like we're just waiting for the inevitable to happen. Uh, The Norwich journalist Paddy Davitt wrote this after the Watford game. This is a season going nowhere under a head coach who is seemingly incapable of drawing a line in the sand. And I think he's pretty much hit the nail on the head there. From my perspective, it's as simple as this. David Wagner is not the long-term answer for, for Norwich. So why are we dicking around? And for me, I think a loss against Bristol City... That would make it nine defeats from 13 
and surely that will be the nail in the coffin. But we've said that so many times that I'm not completely convinced that it will be. Blackburn 4, Birmingham 2. Sammy Schmodix signed a new contract at Ewood Park this week and celebrated here by getting two goals and strengthening his lead at the top of the goal-scoring charts. 13 for the season now, and he has just been on fire since that first kick of the new campaign, Ante. It's a bit ridiculous, really. I, I remember him signing last summer and we were a little bit sceptical of the fee. It was around about two and a half million pounds. And um, it was expensive to, to pay for a player who just hasn't really got going in the championship. But he was good last season. He's been remarkable this season. His first goal here against John Ruddy was beautifully cheeky um, in terms of his chip and probably overshadowed by Jaden Philogene's goal in terms of the cheekiest goal of the, the game week. But... He deserves all the credit that he's getting because he's he's reimagined himself as a as a really good striker. His, his runs actually, the timing of his runs and the quality of his runs and how clever they are remind me a lot of Timo Puki, um, which is a big big compliment. Um, and he's finishing not quite there because he could have a lot more goals, which is incredible to say by the way. Um, but he's just his, his runs are just outstanding. And um, yeah, he deserves all the credit that he's he's getting at the moment because he's, he's really really reimagined himself. Well, he's having a remarkable season, which I don't think I ever saw coming. I've literally just checked and he has had three seasons at championship level prior to this. It is including a Bristol City season where he didn't really play much for them, but I'm going to include it anyway because it fits my narrative. Um, but he's scored more goals already this season than he did in his previous three championship seasons, which just shows goes to show how remarkable a season it is that he's having. Um, I will disagree with you, Justin. You look at it from a underlying data perspective his finishing this season has just been sublime but he's getting in the right positions as well so I don't see any reason why he can't continue scoring I'm I'm not sure 13 you know what will be just over a third of the way through the season so if he gets another 13 for the remaining two thirds um, then that'll push him Mitrovic yeah, it'll be in the territory. 30s won't it which <laughs> I'm not sure will necessarily happen but you know full credit to him he's having a season which I never expected to see and is one of the reasons why Blackburn are having quite a good season in their own right. Uh, Coventry got just their fifth win of the season by beating Plymouth 1-0. Hadji Wright got the goal, but did it stay in, Justin? Replay showed the ball, may have gone out for a goal kick in the build-up. No, I paused the video at the exact moment. Um, Fanny Owick's foot met the ball and it, it looked in for me. I think it's quite an easy one. Well, I think it's a similar case to the old Japan v Germany and Newcastle v Arsenal thing where the ball from one angle looks like it's gone out, yeah. but the whole thing hasn't. When you look at it from above, um, you know, it, there's literally no way of telling, but I think it's, I, I, th I think it may have been one of them. So I'm willing to give uh, Coventry the benefit of the doubt here. But as we say, Hadji Wright got Coventry's goal and he's a man who needed a goal, didn't he? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. He's had some criticism, uh, and rightly so. You know, a fair amount of money was spent on him. He's not been not been clinically enough in front of goal. He's been one of the... I think he had actually been the biggest underperformer this season in terms of um, converting his chances. But he's, he's clearly been an important player. Mark Robbins likes him. He's quite unorthodox in how he plays, he, which lends himself into certain scenarios. And he gets himself into good shooting positions, which shows a nice instinct it shows a good instinct I should say and it's just about refining himself being more confident in front of goal and, and, and putting those chances away because he took his goal really well against against Plymouth Air and it was the only goal of the game so it's an important one so that should give him the confidence to yeah be a lot more be a lot more um, fruity in front of goal don't know where I was going with that a bit more fruity that's what we all want to see uh, well he has actually got five goals 
for the season, which without context isn't a bad return. It's only when you see some of the chances he's missed that you realise how he struggled. And I know XG makes people roll their eyes into the back of their head, but bear with me on this. So far this season, his expected goals per 90, not including penalties, is higher than any other player since the 2018-19 season. That's including Alexandra Mitrovic and Ivan Tony, amongst many others who scored a lot of goals. And that is just absolutely insane. But that shows he's getting in the right positions. It's just his finishing has been woeful and really should have more than just the five goals. He might be a confident striker, though. And I get the feeling that when he gets going, he could be an absolute beast. you just got to give him time. Um, it just depends how much time it takes for him to really get there, doesn't it? And finally, Middlesbrough for Preston nil. Feels a bit harsh having a 4-0 victory last <laughs> in the show today. So sorry, Borough fans, but Middlesbrough's second win in five games. They had a mini slump after smashing everyone for a few weeks, but a 4-0 is a very good way to get back on track. Although their next couple of, next couple of games aren't very kind. They've got Leeds away and then Ipswich at home, which is... Mm-hmm pretty much as tough as it gets isn't it nearly uh, Matt Clark made his first appearance for Middlesbrough in over a year though he's been out with a back injury so that's a very welcome return let's have a look ahead to the weekend so in each preview episode of the second tier just tonight we'll each pick a banker a team we think is guaranteed to win this coming weekend as well as an outsider so someone we think is going to win but is bigger odds with the bookies than their opponents so we're tracking how we do as the season goes on it's one point for a correct banker two points for an outsider whoever loses has to do a forfeit which will be a crossfit workout for myself, while Justin has to do a coach trip from Sunderland to Plymouth and back. The current scores are 21-15 to myself. We nearly had a full house last week for the first time this season. Justin's banker of Leeds to beat Rotherham was the only prediction not to come in from us, so I managed to extend my advantage even further. Justin, what is your banker for the weekend? A bit more confident this weekend. I'm going with Blackburn to beat Sheffield Wednesday away. Blackburn's away form is just sensational, isn't it? They they create a lot of chances and score as well. So I think that might be too much for a bottom side Wednesday. Although it does give you a little bit more confidence with Leicester. Shamish Modix is in form as well. So that gives me confidence that Blackburn will win at Wednesday. Well, we'll have to wait and see on that. My banker, I've gone for Leeds to win at home to Middlesbrough. And I'm hoping this isn't the one game in five where Leeds struggle they seem to play better against the better sides though and their home record is phenomenal just it's five wins on the bounce now at Ellen Road 20 points won from a possible 24 on home soil so that's why I'm going for a Leeds win here despite Middlesbrough obviously getting that 4-0 win against Preston which is very impressive my outsider for the weekend is Millwall to win at home to Sunderland <laughs> there wasn't a huge amount of outsiders which appealed to me, but I decided to go with Millwall. I mean, their home record is pretty rotten, just one point from their last five home games. But I fancy them to improve under Joe Edwards. Sunderland's, you know, have just come off the back of a loss against Huddersfield. So, you know, this would be a good place for, for Joe Edwards to start the rejuvenation of Millwall, which I'm hoping is just around the corner. Justin, what's your outsider? I've played the game a little bit here because I was surprised to see Stoke were favourites to beat Plymouth. Um, So I'm going uh, for Plymouth to to beat Stoke, essentially. Green Army have scored 22 goals um, away from home or at home. Stoke have been very sloppy in recent games, which could be punished by the sensation that is Morgan Whitaker. Um, And again, I'm, I'm banking on form players bringing me out of this because I have not really brought that into my thinking of late. And yeah, need confidence. Well, Plymouth are better at home, aren't they? Exactly. Than they are away. 
and I was the same as you. I, I was very surprised that Plymouth were outsiders for this one. I thought you were pulling a naughty naughty on me, uh, but fair enough. For some reason, Stoke are the favourites in this particular game. Now it's time for this. Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Nearly fucking shit, mate. Yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Lowe. This is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. It's as simple as that. There's three questions. And just like in Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight, we're opening the floor to you, the listener. Send in your Scott High or Ryan Lowe questions to secondtierpod at gmail.com and you could get a shout out on the show. Put Scott High or Ryan Lowe in the subject line and you could very well feature in next Thursday's show. This week, Justin is providing the questions to me. So what have you you got for me just impeach you bastard you call me a bastard every week you know it's right i know okay well, at least you mean it <laughs> uh the first question is i want you to rank in order based on um who's the worst performing player in terms of missing big chances so basically the worst performing non-penalty xg for the nerds um you would just be talking about Hadji right which is the thinking behind it so the players i've mentioned firstly do you understand the question so are you doing it based on the number of big chances missed or are you doing it based on how poor their goal scored is compared to their XG? It's it's based on the XG because I couldn't find Fine. the actual number of big chances missed. So your players are <clears throat> Brandon Thomas-Asante, Ellis Sims, Carlin Grant and, and Jorginho Ruter. Okay, I will go Ellis Sims top um, straight off the bat. And then I'll go Brandon Thomas Asante second. Uh, Colin Grant, Jorginho, Ruta. I think Ruta might be surprisingly high. So I'll go Ruta third and then Grant bottom. You've got two, you've got two right there. Um, I was surprised at seeing this, but Ruta's top. Then it's Brandon Thomas Asante. Yeah. Then it's Ellis Sims and it's Colin Grant. I think Ellis Sims not playing as many games maybe works against mm. him here. No, that's fair. I think I, I remember seeing Ruta has missed quite a few chances. Um, I remember seeing that the other day, but I didn't think he'd be the highest out of that bunch. But you know what? Fair play. Uh, your next question is a good one. Phil Jagielka retired this week. Ooh, cry. What a player. So I want you to rank in order for me the number of appearances made for the following sides. Derby. Sheffield United, his second spell. Not his first spell, his Ooh, second spell. Okay. England and Stoke. Right. So I don't think he played much at all for Sheffield Wednesday in his second spell. Uh, Sheffield, Sheffield United. Wednesday. Sheffield United in his second spell. Blasphemy. Um, and I remember seeing that he's made a surprisingly large amount of appearances for England. I don't recall him ever playing for England, but I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying he's got 40 caps or something like that to his name. So I'll go England top, Stoke second, because I think he had more than one season there, whereas at Derby, he only had half a season. So I'll put Derby third. And then I think Sheffield United, he only played a handful of games, I think. So that's the order I'll go with, Justin. So you've gone with England, Stoke... Derby, Sheffield United. Derby, Sheffield United. It's very, very wrong. It's completely oh, is over it? the shop. Yeah, so he made 50 okay. appearances for Stoke. 50 Fine. appearances for Stoke. Incredible. 40 caps for England. You were right on that. Um, Roy Hodgson favoured him quite a lot. 
22 appearances for Sheffield United in the second spell mm. and only 21 for Derby. So it was close. Ooh. So I wasn't that wrong. I just needed to move the a couple of bits about. Um, so, yeah, I can't believe he played that much for Sheffield United. I, d- I didn't think he just did. And the Premier League as well. Yeah, yeah. All right, fair enough. And what's the last one, Justin? I want you to tell me the most popular way to eat a potato or rank the most popular way to eat a potato. What's it Chips. based on? Uh, it's based on a journal in Ireland. I couldn't find a UK one. The categories of potato are boiled, mashed, roasted and chips. In Ireland, you say? So I'm having to second guess my Irish heritage. Um well, I'll, I'll put I'll put was mashed in there as well. Yeah, mashed, boiled I'll put, chips. Well, I'll, I'll put boiled bottom straight off the bat. Then I'll put mash second for bottom. Then ooh, roasties or chips. Ooh, I will. Well, that's a tricky one. That is because mm. I think people are more likely to eat chips more often, but. I think when it comes to something like this, I think you're more likely to say roasties you prefer. So I'll go um, boiled, mashed, chips, roasties. So that's reverse order. Yes, uh, with boiled being the bottom one, sorry. So it goes roasted, mashed, chips and boiled. Oh, so I've just had... The middle two in the wrong order. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not. I think roasted potatoes are a bit overrated. I'll be honest. Mm, I'm a mash man. I'm a it mash depends. How, it depends how you cook them. If you yeah. stick some duck fat around them, oh, beautiful. Not really for me. If you if you like boiled potatoes, because you're you vegan. Can, yeah, that is true. But if you like boiled <laughs> potatoes, you are a criminal. It's disgusting. Yeah, not for me. Good mash though. A good, a, a good, you know, serving of mash. Oh yeah. Is, uh, is incredibly creamy, creamy oh, superb. I like it a bit yeah. lumpy at times because I'm oh, dirty. Like Ryan. Dirty. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to give you a review of all the games in the Championship this coming weekend. So we look forward to seeing you then. As always, if you wouldn't mind giving us a five-star review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on, it helps us go a long way to grow as a podcast and we would greatly appreciate it. So thank you for that. It only takes a couple of seconds of your time. Otherwise, have a great weekend and we'll see you on Sunday. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.